0: Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. talk about beer. This week, I meet Louise Cooper, Strategic Development Manager at Cooper's Brewery, as Cooper's prepares to celebrate 160 years of brewing. Of course, with a name like that, Louise is not just the Strategic Development Manager. She is also daughter of Cooper's Managing Director, Dr. Tim Cooper, and a member of the sixth generation of the Cooper's family to have a role in the brewery. In her role, Louise has taken a lead in managing Cooper's recently announced $50 million Visitor Centre, microbrewery and whiskey distillery at its Regency Park site. Having spoken with Dr Tim Cooper many times, this was a special conversation for me, and I was really looking forward to the chance to hear from Louise about her introduction to the family business, and also her approach to carrying such a venerable family name. We talk about the different experiences that succeeding generations bring to a family business, and the unique challenges that each will also face. You'll hear about the new visitor centre and what it means to the business and also whether, to quote from Dr. Tim Cooper, making whisky is sticking to the Cooper's knitting. It's a great chat and hopefully one of many that I'll be having with the next generation of Coopers as it comes to guide the business. And I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Louise Cooper, welcome to Beer is a Conversation.
1: Thanks very much, Matt. Pleased to be here. Yeah, look,
0: and I have to say that this is a bit of a thrill. I've um, spoken to, well, I, I feel the need to call him Dr. Tim rather than Dad <laughs> because my daughter works for me and she's always a little bit cautious of not referring to me as Dad in the office because it makes it a little bit unprofessional. So, um, do, do we call uh, Dr. Tim, Dr. Tim or do we call him Dad?
1: Oh, look, I'll be honest, um, I probably revert back to dad too much. <laughs> I've I've had the same thought and people have definitely asked me before, but I it's so hard. I just find in meetings I'm sort of saying, Dad, you know <laughs> and I'm like, Oh I've got to got to try and call him Tim. I don't. No one really calls him Doctor Tim, so I'm not. I think that'd be too much. I don't think I could ever add the doctor. I couldn't give him that. So um, <laughs> he sometimes gets called Tim, sometimes gets called Dad. Okay. Well,
0: for me, it's very much calling him Doctor Tim. Is is because I feel the need to give him that respect. Because yeah, a... that's
1: very kind of you, yes. He'd, he'd definitely appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love it if I called him Dr. Tim.
0: <laughs> God, out of the box, I hadn't actually intended to go down this way, but I actually feel very sorry for my daughter working for me in some ways because I, I think that I'm harder on her. In, in the office than I am on the staff, because I'm very, very yeah. conscious that all of the other staff are going to, you know, take their cues from how I treat her. So yeah. I, I've actually had to say to her now, I mean, when I Ask you to do something in the office, it's not like I'm asking you to unpack the dishwasher at home. <laughs> have, have, have you ever had that? Um, I, I guess you're a little bit older. My, my daughter's 20, um, so it's a, it's a little bit different.
1: Yes, no, it's a good question. I feel I, I'd sort of be interested to see what the other staff members think. I think um, sometimes people think uh, that you know, um, they look and they see my relationship with dad and they sort of think it's quite a good one, quite easy going and he listens, he at least pretends to listen to me um, (laughs) a lot of the time which is very kind of him. Um, There are obviously times when I probably see him more stressed than he would let um, others in on. Um, So in that sense people probably think, oh, whoa, you know, she's getting She's getting to see everything, um, you know, the good and the bad. Although I have to admit, for the most part, what you see is what you get with Dad. Um, Dr. Tim, I, I think anyone who's met him before knows he's pretty friendly and happy. And, I mean, coming from that background where he was in medicine and he did work in the EDs and whatnot, I mean, um, at the end of the day, he's now working in a brewery, so um, for the most part, it's quite fun and there's not too many stresses and he doesn't really have to get upset or, you know, be too demanding on <laughs> anyone because uh, at the end of the day, we're making beer, not saving lives. So um, it's a fun environment and I think because of that, you um, he probably does, at the end of the day, probably treats everyone about the same. I mean, he's, yeah, as I said, he's sort of what you see is what you get with him. So, yeah, but it's been great being able to work with him yeah, uh, closely it, the last couple of years. It's been, yeah, fun. Actually,
0: you you do raise a really interesting dynamic of families. And we'll, clearly with Coopers, we've got to talk a little bit about the family business and uh, mm. being being the sixth generation. But you, but you raised something, again, that I wasn't actually going to go to, but I've recognized myself, is that... When you've got employees or you've got staff or you've got colleagues and you work together and you have you know, certain stresses during the day that's just part of work and then you all go to your own homes... Mm. It's a little bit different when you're in a family and you're aware of, you know, and, and, and we all have, you know, family battles and family things going on that our work colleagues aren't always aware of, but often our exactly. family people are. And so you never actually switch off. Like it, 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 it can be a hard dynamic knowing that they've got other stuff going on, but then, you know, that you're probably blissfully unaware of to some extent with colleagues that don't have that same familial relationship.
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a very good point. I think, especially when I first started the brewery, I think my husband and then also my mum, when we we always do family dinner on a Sunday night, um, and I think they, uh, sort of you know almost feel a bit left out because you can just suddenly start talking <laughs> talking shop about yeah talking shop <laughs> and you know I mean people are obviously always interested in what the brewery is doing, but if you start delving into the the details of (laughs) the specifics and it's not, you know, necessarily the new beer coming out or the marketing strategy or anything fun, it's more um, the day-to-days of, you know, keeping a business going, then I think it can actually become quite dry as dinner table (laughs) conversation. So um, we've had to, sometimes I'll, you know, catch them giving each other a look, other family members, and I think, oh, no, we've got to scale back a bit and keep it a bit more um light and not focus on the shop talk so much so yeah and in terms of um the family stuff at work yeah it's a it's a good point luckily we probably haven't had in the last couple of years anything too dramatic happening family wise but it's a one to definitely keep an eye out on I mean you definitely know how your family members are Each day, um, even if you don't exactly know what's going on, you can obviously, because you know them so well, you can read that they're um, not as happy as they could be or anything like that. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. It makes for, I think, it means that, yeah, you can't. I mean, a lot of people say they. Separate it clearly. I think I've just never been that good with the black and white like that. I think family's always going to spill into work, and work's always going to spill into family
0: for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and particularly with uh, Coopers, uh, I, I guess, which introduces us to that. That um, mm. uh, you, you work in the family business. You're the strategic development manager at Coopers Brewery, and
1: yes.
0: one of the sixth generation um, of Coopers to, to to work in the business. So, yes. I, I, I guess, tell me a little bit about your background because. Like your father, you had a career outside of the brewery before you stepped into it.
1: Yes, that's right. So yes, the rule is um, uh, that you work until you're about 30 um, outside the business and then you can get invited in if you have sort of experience that's relevant to the business. So I worked as a lawyer um, in a mixture of sort of private and then government Roles for seven years um, before coming in at the age of thirty. So, yeah, it was. Um, I did a bit of sort of litigation and more court work, and um, so coming into the brewery, I started off as legal affairs and risk manager, um, which was great, and that was sort of um, close to what I've been doing before. And then I started delving more and more into uh, different capital projects that we were doing um, and just getting involved with those. I mean, it it was a natural fit, I suppose, although it sounds a bit random because as a lawyer, you're often privy to um, any major moves that the company's going to make anyway um, in terms of the documentation and, um, you know, the associated things that come along with making um, new strategic moves. So I got to be involved early in... um, different business opportunities from that perspective and then more and more I suppose I started working on those business opportunities in in more of a strategic commercial way rather than uh, simply as a, you know, a legal reviewer. And, yeah, so then I went away on maternity leave for a year. and Then when I came back, obviously, my replacement in as legal affairs and risk manager was superb, so they actually kept that role. <laughs> <laughs> and I've moved into this um, new role, which is, yeah, great and fun, especially with the new brand home. Um, so,
0: yeah. Was it always your intention, I guess, growing up in the shadow of the family, the opportunity is potentially always there, and you you you're very aware of what mm. the family business is. But w- were you always minded to go into the business? Was it always something that you were interested in?
1: Definitely, it was always something that I I probably would have kicked myself if I didn't try. I mean, as you know, the opportunity is so such a great opportunity. Um, I'm, I, I definitely recognise how lucky I am to have that opportunity. Um, also, I feel very protective of it in the sense that I've seen dad um, in a good way give up so much of his life for the brewery um, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all he's just obviously so passionate about it it's hard for that not to be infectious to some degree and also I feel very protective over what all um, the generations have worked for so in a sense you feel this responsibility to make sure it keeps surviving and not only surviving but thriving for multiple generations to come and uh, in that sense there's also that you know that drawing you into the brewery so that you can uh, keep an eye on how everything's tracking and yeah um, but uh, there's definitely been times i mean i loved working as a lawyer i loved appearing in court. So there were definitely, there's been times where I've sort of thought which way would I go because, (laughs) um, yeah, uh, sometimes you do feel like you're being pulled in different directions. I think it's great that we have the rule that you go and make a career for yourself outside of the brewery because you wouldn't want people coming into the brewery who weren't passionate about it, who were just doing it because... It was a job. I think it's great to have career options outside of the brewery. And then if you choose the brewery, it's because that's where you want to be.
0: And I guess you see it in royal families or any families is that just automatically having the next generation come in doesn't necessarily mm. provide the skills that a business needs to, to grow and evolve.
1: Mm, exactly. That's right. Having worked as an employee at other companies, I don't think you'd necessarily want your boss to be someone who just got handed the role when they were, you know, 19. <laughs> um, so I think it's good for the employees who, as you know, we they're in just an extended part of the family to feel that, um, that the people who they are working with um, in terms of the the, fa- the Cooper family um, have the necessary skills, hopefully, to drive the business in the right direction. And I think, yeah, all of the sixth generation, I mean, at the moment it's just Andrew and I, but there's definitely interest from our cousins and um, siblings and um, to come into the brewery. And I think all of them are working and doing really well in their own careers. So hopefully um, we'll have all the skills that we need to see the business continue on um, for the next few generations at least, if not more, hopefully. (laughs) And it
0: it certainly is looking good at the moment, but that is almost a different experience than Dr. Tim had. Um, Mm. I I was fortunate enough to interview him back in 2004 or 2005 for the Virgin in-flight magazine. I'm not sure if you've ever actually you you may not have ever seen it it was a, um but but he made the point um and this is a quote from that article by nineteen seventy six my father had a real expectation that the company would go back uh, bankrupt. That's mm-hmm. how bad it got from the early seventies on he was saying to us, the fifth generation, you've got to go and seek your fortunes elsewhere and of course, um dr. Tim went off to become dr tim um and then uh, he went on to say. It wasn't until 1985 that my father, Bill, was starting to say the brewery was going to survive. So maybe we should have the family pay attention to it, at least from a custodial point of view. And that mm. was when he went off and uh, did brewing. And uh, he, he, I'll, I'll just throw this in because it's relevant to you. Mm. He said, for then, uh, by studying cardiology in uh, England uh, and close to his medical registration, not to mention married with a child and another baby on the way. So uh, you're, <laughs> you were the baby on the way
1: I was the child. Oh, you're yes, the child. So was, okay, I'm, so you're the I'm eldest. The, the
0: eldest. Yes. Yep. So, uh, so, but, but your experience in entering the business and, I guess, growing up, watching your father um, in in the business was of a, a a brewery at the top of the wave because this article mm. would have been written, um, you know, you know, after that long, long period of growth that has continued largely since then.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I think I, I obviously uh, you know I'm um 33 now and I I remember sort of, you know, the late 90s definitely there was no um I suppose I was just a kid still but the brewery still was quite small, it was quite local. Um there wasn't a question that it was, you know, um you know about its survival. It was definitely um, starting to it had turned the corner in a big way and was um, really thriving. But I suppose it was that you know development of premium beverages in the early two thousands that really paved the way and took um, the company national. And then from there, it's just gone gangbusters. I suppose it's it's really grown and thrived. So yeah, I've, it's been amazing, and I feel privileged to have been able to watch it. And um watch dad through that journey as well. So yes, but yeah, as you say, totally different now coming in when the brewery is um has been luckily so successful. Um and you sort of think as the sixth generation, wow, I can't I can't let anything bad happen to it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a big sense of responsibility, I suppose. I think um because obviously the fifth generation and and to a big extent as well, the fourth generation, my my grandpa, they'd worked so hard, both of their generations, to turn the business around. So all uh, credit to them. They've obviously done a great job in managing to do that. And I think, yeah, now it's for the sixth generation to hopefully continue the growth trajectory.
0: And I do wonder how experience shapes expectation or experience shapes viewpoint, because I guess Dr. Tim, having seen just how, uh, and, and for, for, for listeners um, that haven't read the, the, the article and I might even post it, the... Um, mm. He he talked about in the seventies um, as Coopers ales were a little bit on the nose and they were seen as you know, <laughs> less cool. Um, and and th- these are largely <laughs> Dr Tim's words, not mine.
1: And yes, of course, <laughs>
0: saying that they they were a little bit uncool to a new generation of of beer drinkers. And Coopers mm. invested heavily in lagering equipment to try and um, you know stay current and relevant. And the the Coopers lagers never really found. A place, And they had this significant um, – and, and correct me if, uh, if, if I'm recalling any of this wrong, um, but Coopers no, had no. a significant um, investment in, in, in the lagering technology. But mm. then also we had the uh, you know, economic challenges of the late 70s of high interest rates and mm. a recession and people were drinking less. And so it was almost a perfect storm of challenges that, mm, that, that faced exactly. Coopers. Exactly.
1: No, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I understand of it. Um, and I think Dad often credits Homebrew really as as how the company survived, you know, and made it into the 90s. So, um, yeah, it was a hard time for beer, um, but because of all those factors that you mentioned, Homebrew um, really took off.
0: But I, I guess as a child of the late 80s, early 90s, you wouldn't even remember the um, recession that we had to have. Um, no,
1: no, that's right.
0: So you've seen a business that has been essentially going from strength to strength. and That's right. Is that expectation, I, I guess, when all you know is a, a vibrant business, how hard is it to you know, understand the challenges um, that, that a business can face, do you think?
1: Yes, it is. It's. It's. Yeah. So actually, I probably hadn't really thought about it before. I think the greatest challenge that I'd seen, obviously in my lifetime, was the Lion Nathan takeover attempt. Mm. Um, and um, it was. It's obviously a completely different challenge in the sense that it, you know it's based on the fact that the brewery was um, performing so strongly at the time. But at the same time, it was that sense of um, will the company remain in family hands? So it was obviously, a, you know, a stressful time for everyone and a, a challenge for the business. But in terms of, um, yeah, a, a company that's sort of flailing, yes, I haven't really, luckily, haven't been exposed to that with the brew. So it's definitely a big sense of responsibility to make sure <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, and there certainly will be challenges, I think, for beer in the future or all alcoholic beverages, I think, in the future. Um, so yeah, it's one to, that we have to keep thinking about and we have to keep innovating and have to um, keep making sure that you know beer maintains its relevancy.
0: And, and, and no doubt, at least currently, uh, while Dr. Tim is still at the helm, um, you get the benefit of that. But you know, I, I look at my daughter's generation and when I first mm. went to buy a house, for example, you know, we'd come out of the 17% interest rates. And yeah. I, I remember a friend's parents saying, oh, you need to buy a house now. We'll never see interest rates under 8.5% again. Um, <laughs> and of course, <laughs> since, since he said that, I don't think interest rates have been above 6%. Um, no.
1: <laughs>
0: and so anyone that's grown up uh, or anyone that's looked at buying a house over the last 15 or 20 years, Yes. Um, does not whereas any investment I've made I've sort of been mindful of can I afford, you know, another three or four percent interest. And it it very much Just shapes yeah, exactly. yeah, you, 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 your mindset. And I, I'm I'm thinking of that because over the last few years Cooper's on the back of a very long growth period um, has invested heavily in its maltings, which has done yes. very well. And you've mm. just announced a, um, a $50 million tourism um, uh, venue and also distillery, which uh, yes. is not, not an insignificant uh, in, in investment, just as we're starting to see interest rates creep up creep and up. <laughs> a, a, a lot of uh, uncertainty.
1: No, I know. Um, but I think we... Um Yeah, I think we're in a position to do it. We're very lucky that we're in this position to do it. I think it's probably the next logical step in terms of growth. I mean, as a company, you do have to take these risks. You do have to keep growing. Otherwise, you just um, stagnate and you get left behind, really. I think um, if you look just generally around, I mean, this is what... Um, craft brewers offer um, is a place for people to come and learn about the product and um, I think, you know, uh, we can still consider ourselves a craft brewer. We're not you know, necessarily the small craft brewer that people picture, but we are a craft brewer and we're passionate about our product and um, we love for people to learn about it and learn what makes us different to a lot of what they'll see in bottle shops. So I think it's the next logical step and also to, in a way, open us up, I mean, um, open us up to... Interstate guests and showcase South Australia. I mean, we obviously very proud South Australian company, um, and with tourism uh, hopefully um, on the mend post COVID, we want to welcome interstate visitors uh, to our uh, yeah to our home um, and help them learn a bit more about the beer because I mean at the end of the day we're five percent of the Australian market and we want to keep seeing that grow and potentially get a foothold overseas too would be I suppose the long-term not immediate term goal but long-term goal because um, yeah we've got to keep growing and we've got to um, keep, you know, making progress, I suppose.
0: It's interesting that you you talk about having to keep growing because Cooper's certainly has, a, the, the last year or two has been an, uh, probably a little bit of a blip, but mm. Cooper's has certainly kept growing fairly organically. Um, yes. And... It, it it's interesting, just looking at the interview that I did um, with Dr. Tim a few years ago, I did ask, this, this was early in the craft beer um, revolution, for want of better terms, and uh, I asked him the question, are you too big to try small batch brewing, for example, an IPA? And he said, we do things like vintage uh, and we do single batches of product, which would, um, you know, if we can't sell one brew length then it's probably not worth doing and now for us a brew length is six thousand cases um, yeah. so if we're going to do something like special old stout or maybe an ipa it's got to be something worthy of the effort <laughs>
1: and yeah that's right uh, and they've got to, you've got to get it right pretty much first
0: time <laughs> which is a challenge and how much does that play into the the microbrewery or the, the the small brewery that you're putting in as part of the visitor center
1: yeah, that's definitely plays a part. I think the brewers um, have wanted this for a long time just in terms of them being able to experiment a bit and play a bit. Um, but so that that definitely is um, a big aspect of the decision to install a microbrewery is that we can um, play a bit more, experiment a bit more um, and... Uh, have a bit of fun with it. Um, I suppose the other side is also that really a lot of people who will come might not necessarily want to go on a tour through the whole brewery and this just gives them a little bit of a taste of the brewing process because we really want everyone who comes to the brewery who's wanting to understand about the brewing process to be able to understand it and see, um, you know, beer being made. So that's another um, component the decision. But yes, I think it'll be great to have this facility to be able to test out um, small batch brews and have a bit of fun with it. And yeah, do beers of the month in the um, brand home for people to come and try on tap. And yeah.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Matt. We're breaking into this podcast for a word from our sponsor, as we like to say, but not just any sponsor. As you know, at Brews News, we're very selective who we work with. And this is a special partnership with Lark Whiskey, which is soon to release the fifth incarnation of its collaboration with Wolf of the Willows Brewery. In this annual exchange of ideas and whiskey barrels between Lark and Wolf, Lark hand-selects whiskey casks and sends them to the Victorian-based brewery, who fills them with Imperial Johnny Smoke Porter. Before it is decanted, and the now beer-infused casks are filled with single malt whiskey. Hang around at the end of this podcast to hear my chat with Chris Thompson, master distiller at Lark, and how he discusses the collaboration. But here's a bit of a teaser that actually comes from my preliminary chat with Chris, who gives me some surprising insights when I ask him what beer should do to become a little bit more like whiskey in the consumer's mind.
1: Beer shouldn't try and be like whiskey.
0: Whiskey should try and be like beer. The rituals involved with beer are integrated into society. They're not pretentious and they add so much. At Lark, we are trying to be more like beer, more democratic, more open and more welcoming to to new drinkers. Traditionally, that's not what whiskey's been. Beer shouldn't be trying to be a more serious drink. It should be
1: a fun but complex and continue to add to society.
0: Now, that definitely was not the answer I was expecting. And if you enjoyed that, Please hang around at the end of this podcast to hear more about Chris's approach to whiskey in this bonus chat. It's a really fascinating insight into the partnership between beer and whiskey. When I, um, I, I think I spoke to Dr. Tim a couple of months ago, and he, he actually remembered a question that I'd put to him five mm-hmm. years ago that I didn't ask him that question about whether Coopers would ever buy a craft brewery. Um, and a, a, as he said, you know, we can just launch a beer and have more volume, um, you know, if, if it's done well, then most craft breweries that we would buy have anyway, mm. which, which was a really interesting insight. And I, I guess we've seen that with uh, what is now called Pacific Ale and the XPA that, you know, Coopers doesn't need to buy that volume uh, when you can create it yourselves.
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, we've got the the facility that Dad's, you know, created in Regency Park, you um, yeah, I mean, we've still got, you know, yeah, capacity to grow there. Um, there's not, definitely not a problem with not having uh, the, the facilities in place in order to be able to grow our volume. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, that's right. And I think if you had something, we're lucky as well, and this is why we want the brand home on our site, is that we've got the space there and really it just makes sense to um, have A microbrewery on site so our brewers can easily go across to it and get involved in it and we can put all our normal you know cleaning processes and um you know hygiene rigour in place right there at the brewery just like we do in the main brewery so it makes sense for us to sort of have our own rather than i suppose um buy a a craft brewery and use their equipment
0: Mm. but also i I guess just the volumes and the brand uh you know Coopers has such a very strong brand and despite its size, which for many craft beer fans counts against a a brewery and they almost hate it when small craft breweries grow to a fraction of the size that Coopers (laughs) is. But there is such love for Coopers um, because of your heritage and and what you represent to to the market.
1: Yes. I mean, we like to think so. I think at the end of the day – I mean, yes, we're bigger, but at the end of the day, we are passionately, you know, Australian or South, South Australian even. I mean, we use local barley. We support local ourselves. I mean, in this new facility, we want to use Australian steel. I mean, we're passionate about keeping the spend in Australia for, you know, the benefit of all Australians really, um, which I think, as a member of the public who knows the business and they know that we're passionate about that and that we don't want to sell out and we don't want to be bought by an international company, I think that, um, yeah, brings them a lot of um, comfort and and that's why I think we tend to, people tend to stay loyal to us um, despite the fact that we might grow um, up Core values haven't changed in that we're still family run, and um, we, you know, like to spend here and invest here.
0: It's interesting that you talk about having grown, um, and because Cooper's has, and it, as, as we've mentioned, it, it's not been all plain sailing. There have been some challenges where the business has mm. come very close to to not surviving, but. Coopers does seem to be something of a unicorn, um, you know, a, 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 an impossibility. Um, when you look at the small breweries that have started now, many of them, uh, you know, talking about wanting to emulate a, a brewery like Coopers, and even something like Stone and Wood that seemed to want to. Pitch its future as being independent. Um, yes, but they haven't managed to. And you know, no um, finance and you know how how do you fund growth and uh, how do you keep everybody happy is an enduring challenge for any business. But it's some, It's it's a, a needle that Coopers has managed to thread.
1: Yeah, it's true when you look at Stone and Wood. I mean, I suppose I was as surprised as anyone, but I mean, they did what they had to do to survive. And I suppose Coopers luckily hasn't been, I mean, there have been in positions throughout time, if you look at the history of it, um, where we have had to, um, you know, strategically bring on non-family members to help support the company, So it's definitely, I suppose, you do what you have to do to survive. We're just lucky that we've been able to um, get it back and held in family hands. And now that we're in this position of strength, I, I don't think we'd be looking at any other options um, in the near future. But I suppose it, it's right. At the end of the day, um, it's more important to keep the business going and people in <laughs> their jobs <laughs> um, than to worry too much about the share structures of it um, and, you know, we can't be too proud. We, at the end of the day, we do support 100 and, you know, sorry, over that now, so 140 employees in South Australia but, you know, over 200 nationally um, and our primary concern has to really be them. So um, I think probably yeah, at the end of the day, Stone and Wood had to do what they had to do to survive um, and, yeah, I think they looks like from their deal they made some excellent sort of compromises in terms of how the business would be run, and they'd keep their same values in place. And I'd hope that if it ever came to it for us, I'd hopefully it wouldn't. But if it ever did, that we'd be able to do the same. Yeah,
0: so I'm just uh, I'm just reflecting on uh, all of that um, because it's a it, it is a fascinating one. Do you think we'll see another Coopers? Um, do you think in the modern world we can you know? get another business, grow and stay independent and family-owned?
1: That's a great question. I'd I'd like to think that you could, but um, I suppose it's difficult to think right now of an example of a company that... Um, is is close to doing that. Um, I mean, what Wood obviously was probably the, the next example of a company that it was you know growing in a huge way and remaining independent. But I mean, they've definitely shown it's it's possible to do that to some extent. And I suppose, um, yeah, it's been an it's been a difficult time for all businesses with with COVID and obviously. There's other considerations as well in terms of where they're located. There's obviously challenges, you know, in terms of um, floods and fires and, you know, all different types of things that they've had to, you know, not specifically them but their communities and um, major customer regions have had to grapple with. So, um, yeah, I suppose how much of it comes down to luck and how much of it comes down to the way coopers do things, it's difficult to say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just fascinating that we haven't seen anybody. We've seen, you know, with the rise of equity crowdfunding, brewers are looking at Mm. how they can do it, but there still doesn't seem to be a, um, you know, a a sure way of doing it without the traditional bank finance.
1: No, and I mean, brewing equipment is insanely expensive, (laughs) as, as everyone who listens to this podcast would know. I mean, it's just... Is an expensive process and it? it's really expensive in order to take it to that next level um, In take it from a, a craft brewery to get the volume going so that you are um, operating in a substantial scale and, you know, it's expensive to prevent infections and keep everything um, entirely clean and hygienic and to move to that model where, um, you know, uh, the equipment is doing a lot of the work rather than having to do it yourself by hand, like to take those, you know, especially in terms of cleaning and whatnot, to take those steps, it's a significant investment. So it is very challenging.
0: The, I, I don't think I've ever done a, an interview with uh, Dr. Tim without mm. him using the phrase sticking to your knitting. Um, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how, often, how often you hear that, um, that you've got to stick to your knitting. but yeah. <laughs> It, 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 which is where it's really interesting that you're building a, a distillery and you, you're going into, into the whiskey business because is, on, on yes. one hand whiskey is just distilled beer, um, unhopped yes. beer, but on the other hand it's a, it, it, it is a different class um, of, of beverages and uh, you know, is it sticking to your knitting or is it um, doing something different?
1: I know, and it's a you know I I told Dad that I was speaking with you today, and he thought that you might ask that to be honest because <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting one. I, I he would definitely I think we'd both say it is sticking to your knitting. I think having I mean you could probably have asked the same question with the maltings, um, in the sense that it, it is um obviously closely related, but it's not you know brewing per se. And but I think having done the maltings and seeing the success of the maltings, it's given us the confidence and the comfort in order to be able to take this next step. And it's just, it's such a logical fit in terms of growth for the company in the sense that um, obviously we'd be using our own mulch made on the premises and we've got this amazing 100-year-old yeast strain Um that um, also we think would, you know, develop into a fantastic whiskey. And I think that there is the gap in the market in terms of an Australian-made whiskey at a price point that is, uh, you know, achievable for people to buy. I think a lot of the, the beautiful whiskies that come out of Tasmania, the single malt whiskies, are expensive. And I think given the size of our... Um, production capabilities we thought that we you know given that we've got a lot of the necessary infrastructure already um and we you know add this distillery on top of that we'd be able to produce single malt whiskey at a price point that um you know consumers can um, more easily afford um obviously it's not going to be a you know a, a cheap bottle but it will be You know, the aim is to create something in that mid price point, um, which means that people can drink local whiskey if they would like to.
0: I guess there is a, because it is so closely related to beer and the, the, the malt that it is, and Coopers has the advantage of not being a startup where you have to have all of this capital investment now without a dividend in, you know, for, for five or six years when the, the, the whiskey can be released. You've got the, yeah. this is an add-on to a, a very significant business already.
1: That's right, and I think that's the reason why. I mean, you see a lot of the distillers um, in Australia who have wanted to get into whiskey. They have to start off with vodka or gin because that's how you get the return on the significant capital investment. Um, Where I mean, vodka and gin just don't really make sense for us as a company. So we're lucky that we um, are able to purely focus on whiskey and getting that right. And um, rather than, you know, having to um, unnecessarily delve into other spirits and um, try and make them successes as well. So, we are lucky because, as you said, we don't have to worry about an immediate payback to um, decrease the debt levels. So,
0: yeah. I think you may have almost answered the, the my follow-on question was, will this create a temptation to move into vodka or gin or?
1: Not at, not at this stage. I, I mean, um, it's just the whiskey is the more logical fit for us. I mean, we're confident that we can make an amazing whiskey um, because of the products that we, um, you know, the raw ingredients that we have are go- that are going into it. Um, Uh, Not to say that, you know, we'd never, I I guess never say never, um, (laughs) but (laughs) at the moment we really want to focus on whiskey. I think, as you know, craftsmanship is um, key to everything we do at Coopers and um, we want to know that if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right and it's going to be perfect. So I think we want to focus on whiskey for now and getting that right. Um, If something in the future made us think that we could make an amazing vodka or gin um, that was competitive, then we m- may consider it. But at the moment, I think focus on what we know, and um, yeah, for that for that reason, we've chosen whiskey. How important
0: is it to have a portfolio? Because I remember. Um, over the years as Cooper's has had various Brinder um, license partners and introduced a range of different you know, low carb lagers and things in addition to the classic ales and the explanation is always well when you go to a, a venue you want a portfolio to offer rather than just the one you know one ale mm. is, is this a, a part of that as well having a portfolio as the idea of drinks broadens um.
1: That's a good question. I mean, I suppose it doesn't hurt. That definitely hasn't been our primary motivation to get into it, though. I don't think there's any, um, it's not, it hasn't been quite the same as lager or, you know, in terms of the way things work with our, um, you know, with our clients and our, our customers. I don't think there's an expectation that we have a spirit on offer as well really the primary motivation is that we thought we've got this amazing malt and we've got this amazing yeast and um i think there was an internal excitement amongst the brewers that you know um, who a lot of who uh, you know are um, distillers as well in the sense that you do the qualification together so i think um there's this internal excitement that now we've really got this malt down pack. that wouldn't this be an amazing single malt whiskey rather than so it's probably driven from an operational side I suppose to answer your question rather in terms of a marketing or sales side I think the marketing and sales will come later but I think at the end of the day a lot of what Cooper's does is driven by an operational side rather than because we think well we can do this and we can do it really well and then we look is there a gap in the market or do our customers want this and if that matches up then we proceed and I think in this case it's been the same Um, it's we thought we could really and especially dad coming from an operational side he sort of looked at it and thought we can do this and we can do it well then we've looked and thought, well, there is this gap in the market for an affordable Australian-made whisky. But it's not so much, I suppose, in terms of um, having that as a part of a portfolio that we need to offer customers, I think, It will be excellent to have when we have it, but it's not quite the same as, you know, making sure we have a lager so that we have the full range of beers on offer for customers. You did
0: mention export before. Is whiskey something that I guess lends itself a little bit more easily to export than than, than beer, which has… Challenges definitely
1: traveling. yes and no that's entirely right it's very expensive to <laughs> export beer and it's hard to make money from it because of obviously the expense in um exporting it over um and for the price point that you ultimately sell beer for whiskey definitely lends itself um, more easily to be able to be um transported overseas and a lot of markets are keen for um As more Australian distillers have won, you know, significant world awards, um, more international markets are keen to experiment with Australian whisky. So, yeah, ultimately, um, long term, we would be, I think, looking to um, try and export some of it. Um, I think we'll start local, as we have always done, and um, try and grow it from there
0: coopers has brewed a number of beers under license here as as part of your portfolio Mm -hmm. would would we ever see coopers for example given the strength of the brand work with somebody internationally to brew coopers under license overseas as as an alternative to export
1: it'll be interesting to see and and to be i mean i know um dad having been chief brewer uh is keen to maintain a close eye on over how we brew our beer Um, at the end of the day it is sort of family brewed and we keep a very close eye on it Um, it's you know you'd be looking at uh, making sure whoever was brewing it under license was meticulous about it as we are Um, so it's a good question it's not to say that someone I mean with our secondary fermentation processes obviously um, you know it's not uh, it's not necessarily the usual way of brewing, so there's challenges um, with that. Not to say that obviously there aren't capable breweries across the world that can can do it, um, but, yeah, it's nothing. something that we haven't... Um, Delved into yet just because we um, are control freaks about the way we brew it. It'll be interesting to see the people with the brewing expertise from the sixth generation um, when they come in, what they think about it. Um, It's probably me as um, not a qualified brewer, it's something I probably would never want to personally necessarily make a call on without um, really understanding the ins and outs from the qualified brewers. So, yeah. It's a good question, though.
0: <laughs> now, your role is strategic development manager, which the um, background says uh, sees you manage strategic capital projects and business opportunities. We've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about the strategic capital projects. What business opportunities are you currently exploring?
1: I suppose, to be honest, the the I, I mean, at the moment, the brand homes taking up. Um, pretty much all of my time in that role um the role is designed that you know in the future obviously we want to keep growing and looking at other business opportunities but right now um yeah we've made the significant capital investment in the brand home and the focus is on making that um a really great tourism experience and also obviously a great experience for locals who want to understand the product um as well as obviously uh The whiskey side, there'll be work to be done in terms of how we just manage the integration of that into the rest of the business. So... Uh, for now, those are the business opportunity – well, the the strategic capital projects that I'm working on and don't have as much time for business opportunities. But, um, hey, opportunities always come along. So, um, yeah, we'll see what's next for after this.
0: <laughs> oh, well, Louise Cooper, I should uh, use your full name if anyone <laughs> needs to hear the last name. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. No,
1: thank you so much, Matt. It has been a pleasure.
0: Hopefully, we're both well enough uh, – to uh, have a beer together at the 160th uh, Gala next Friday night.
1: Yes, that's great. Yeah, that'd be great. So, yes, I look forward to seeing you there.
0: Thank you for your time. It'd be
1: good to celebrate. Thank you.
0: And that was Louise Cooper. If you're a listener, don't forget you can join the conversation on the best discussion group on the internet, the Radio Brews News Facebook group. Just search for Radio Brews News in Facebook and use the password Soapbox, just so we know you're a listener and you haven't just been some random. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, or if you're a business, you can take a business directory listing, or if you're a brewer, you can get your brewery a paid subscription. There are a lot of other benefits apart from just listening to this. You can also, just as a casual listener, review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service. It really does help. And you can tell us what you think or what you thought about this interview by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com